Thank you for tuning in to Voice Epilepsy Podcast. I'm your host, Kim Davidson. On Voice Epilepsy Podcast, we will discuss health and wellness, education, employment, lived experience, and all things epilepsy. My name is Christine Jamison. I work with uh, the BC Epilepsy Society as an impact speaker um, and getting to host amazing things like this. Um, some of you also may know I was Miss Canada 2019 and Miss BC 2018. I am someone who does live with epilepsy, um, so I uh, completely understand what uh, people who we help are going through. Uh, we have two wonderful panelists joining us today. Dr. Linda Ha is a pediatric neurologist who graduated from medical school at the University of Ottawa and completed her residency in pediatrics from Memorial University and completed two fellowships, one in pediatric neurology at the University of British Columbia and one in epilepsy at Yale University. She is currently a pediatric neurologist and the director of the ketogenic diet program at BC, at BC Children's Hospital. We also have uh, Lauren Fisher, and she is a registered dietitian who graduated from the University of British Columbia. She's currently the ketogenic diet program dietitian at BC Children's Hospital. So welcome ladies. Great, so I'll be starting. Thank you, Christine, for the um, excellent introdu introduction and uh, also for all that you do for the BC Epilepsy Society and the families here in British Columbia with epilepsy. Um, it's our honor and our privilege to be here today. And Lauren and I can talk about the ketogenic diet all day. Um, we are just going to go over um, some of the dietary therapies that you may have heard of um, that we use for epilepsy therapy. And I, I will delve in a little bit more into um, some of its uses and, uh, and how it works. And then Lauren is going to go get into the nitty gritty, the, uh, um, you know, really the, the practical side of things. Okay. Both of us have conflicts of interest in that we're both involved in studies with the ketogenic diet. Um, and also we're very biased because we're very keto crazy. Um, and so those, those are the disclosures that you need to know. Uh, our objectives today, we only really have one and it's to discuss the dietary therapies we use for epilepsy. We will not be touching um, uh, uh, touching about uh, on subjects um, that uh, are beyond the scope of epilepsy. Um, so why do we even need dietary therapies? Well, this really lovely chart here shows that uh, from the inception of anti-seizure medications in uh, the 1850s, um, we, we've had about 18 medications since then. Uh, we've had the basic medications and what we call a first generation, second generation, and now we're into our third generation uh, where these newer um, drugs, these new designer drugs um, may have less side effects, um, but um, in the end um, has still resulted in 30% of individuals with epilepsy being resistant to medications. Um, and so although we have all these new medications that we've developed, we still have up to a third of individuals with epilepsy who are not well controlled. And so we recognize that we need um, other possible therapies to offer families uh, with epilepsy. Now, everybody uh, who uh, lives with epilepsy recognizes that epilepsy not, is not just seizures. You don't even have to be treatment resistant and treatment resistant means um, not 
responding to two or more medications. Um, you know, even if you do respond to medications, um, epilepsy has a huge impact on an individual and families with epilepsy. We recognize that anti-seizure medications have side effects. We also recognize that the seizures themselves or the cause of the seizures um, can cause difficulties with thinking. Uh, we recognize that epilepsy has impact in terms of education, employment, um, and social consequences. It can result in mood and personality changes. It can really altogether restrict quality of life. And then as um, most of you have been aware in the media, we've been trying to increase awareness of increased mortality, um, uh, such as SUDEP um, and other comorbidities. And so um, we recognize that, um, that epilepsy itself has a huge impact. And so we need something in our, in our moratorium to fight epilepsy. We're gonna be talking about the ketogenic diet. Um, so what is it? Um, the ketogenic diet is a high fat, low carbohydrate diet. Okay? It's what we call a non-pharmacologic therapy uh, for treatment resistant ep epilepsy. Um, but I, I want to stress that in no way is it natural, okay? Um, this is not a diet that um, is, um, is without its uh, possible risks and complications, and I'll go into that a little bit. And it's not a diet that, um, you know, that, that you can just sort of um, use um, for epilepsy um, just very offhandedly. Okay, and so we'll go a little bit into that. It has been used since the early 1920s. In old medical journals, they talked about, um, you know, bringing people into the hospital and not giving them anything to eat for five days, so fasting them, except for just water, um, and their seizures would get better. And what we recognized was that this state of fasting can also be mimicked by a high-fat diet, uh, which produces ketones. And so um, even though we've been using it medically since 1920s, um, if you go back into um, you know, old papers, it's been used since uh, 500 BC. We've just modernized it. And so I'm going to hand it over to uh, Lauren to go on from here. Okay, so I'm going to talk about the different types of ketogenic diets. So carbohydrates, protein, and fat are our macronutrients. So carbohydrate foods include things like grains, rice, quinoa, breads, pastas, as well as fruits and vegetables. And carbohydrates are ultimately broken down into glucose, which is the fuel in our body. You may have also heard of the term net carbohydrates. Um, that refers to what we actually absorb. The net carbohydrate subtracts the amount of fiber. So for example, if you ate a fruit that had 10 grams of carbs, and six of those grams were fiber, then we would have four grams of net carbs. Protein foods would include things like meat, poultry, seafood, dairy, legumes, tofu, and eggs. And fat is oil, butter, margarine, heavy cream, and nuts. Um, there are many foods that are a combination of more than one food group. So for example, nuts may be high in fat as well as protein. So the classical ketogenic diet is based on a ratio of grams of fat to grams of carbohydrate and protein. So for an example, a four to one ratio would be four grams of fat to every one gram of protein and carbs. All food is weighed on a gram scale. And so as a dietitian for the program, I know exactly how many calories how many grams of fat, how many grams of protein is in a child's prescription. 
um, and their diet is modified for their age, their energy, and activity level, and protein needs. So no diet is the same. Um, we provide their recipes and make changes accordingly. Caregivers are required to do training to make all of the food and provide that according to the child's prescription. Um, patients are required to measure urine ketones. It is extremely rigid. It requires a lot of commitment and compliance from caregivers as well as the patient. Um, it is definitely the most difficult, but is the most effective. And since everything is so calculated, it makes it easier for us as a team to make changes to optimize seizure control. So if we look at how a classical ketogenic diet compares to a typical diet, at a four to one ratio, 90% of their calories is coming from fast. And three to 5% is coming from carbohydrates, where as in a typical diet, about 55%, more than half our diet would be things like greens and potatoes and pastas and things like that. So three to 5%, maybe as little as five to six grams of carbs in the entire day. And so for perspective, one slice of bread is about 15 grams of carbs. So it's very, very small. And usually it's um, just a little bit of fruit and vegetables. Um, the recipes need to be followed very closely to ensure it fits in that ratio. Um, and they, it's very specific. So brand names really matter. So for example, Kraft Mayo has carbohydrates versus Hellman Mayo. Um, and we tend to start most of our patients on a four to one diet and our younger patients at three to one. Once they're on a classical keto diet, they have new food groups and that is butter, oil, and mayonnaise, liquid fat, heavy whipping cream, so 36% milk fat, and protein foods such as like meat, poultry, eggs. And they always, always, always have to have vitamins and minerals because when your diet is 90% fat, we're not getting any of those vitamins and minerals, which we'd usually get from grains or fruits and vegetables. Um, this is an example of what a 4 to 1 ketogenic diet would look like for maybe an older kid or a teenager or a young adult. Um, so this would be about a quarter of a chicken breast, a quarter an avocado, a few large tablespoons of mayo, and half a stick of butter and like a couple leaves of kale. And it has, this has less than one gram of net carbs. So really, really restrictive. Higher than a four to one ratio, it's difficult to meet protein needs in because, and it's hard to make it really palatable. So very rigid and strict. Um, because fat is so dense in calories, their portions are a lot smaller, which makes it easier for kids to consume everything. But it's a bit of a shock when you're used to looking at a much bigger volume. So I think this is like some pepperoni or deli meat, and then it's cucumber waves, um, mayo, and then there's a little glass of whipped cream in the corner that they would drink too. So you have to make it fun and spread it out for really get the kids to buy into it because it, it is really intense but you can make it very palatable. Um, there's also formula available for patients who um, have enteral nutrition, so if they have G-tubes, or they can also drink it as an oral supplement, like as a meal replacement, or have a bit of extra nutrients, because these drinks, although there are four to one ratio, so 90% fat, they're also fortified with a lot of vitamins and minerals they need. So it can be sometimes a bit easier to incorporate a shake than a couple extra vitamins during the day. Um, these shakes are also 
they require a physician or dietitian's consent to get them, so they're not available for the general public to have. So another um, diet is the MCT oil diet, and MCT stands for medium chain triglycerides. MCT oil is digested faster, um, it is more readily available to the body, and it yields more ketones, so it creates more ketones per gram of fat than our long chain. Triglycerides, um, in the MCT oil diet, about 50% of the calories come from MCT oil. Um, the diet, it's not, it can use a scale, but a lot of the times they'll use household measurements like a cup or a tablespoon. And they use, a lot of centers will use carbohydrate or protein exchanges. So for example, half an apple, maybe one carbohydrate exchange and a patient may have up to five exchanges per day. So it's still restrictive and it requires compliance and patients are still encouraged to measure their urine ketones. Uh, one thing to note is pure or high-grade MCT oil can be a bit costly, as well as MCT oil can be a bit difficult to tolerate. It can cause a little bit of GI upset of like nausea or vomiting, diarrhea, those uncomfortable things. We use MCT oil in our program, um, but typically in combination with the classical keto diet. Uh, we don't start with it right away. Um, Toronto Sick Kids, though, they use a lot more of the MCT oil diet in their program. So as I said, about 50% of the diet comes from MCT. That extra 23% still comes from other butter, oil, heavy whipping cream, and allows for a lot more carbohydrates because the MCT oil creates more ketones. Greater than 50% MCT can be a bit hard on the gut because it can cause some of those intolerant symptoms. So modified Atkins or modified keto diet um, gets its name from the Atkins diet, which became popular in the 90s. It is a low carb, high protein and high in saturated fat diet. And a lot of people know it for its use in weight loss. Carbohydrates are limited to 20 to 25 grams per day. So much bigger than five in a classical keto diet does require patients to carb count and label read for accuracy. And about 55 to 65% of their calories are still coming from fat. Um, it is definitely less restrictive, uh, but it yields a little less ketones. So this would be an example of a modified keto plate. It's really great for more suitable for adults or older and independent teens because it's quite accommodating for eating out. Someone may be able to order a dish without the bread or potatoes and have it fit within that modified diet. And they may be able, able to purchase certain packaged foods like bars or snacks. Um, and so about 50% of patients on a modified keto diet may have a 30 to 50% decrease in seizures. So our low glycemic index diet is based on the glycemic index. So this refers, glycemic index refers to a food's ability to raise blood glucose levels. Foods that are high on the glycemic index, so this high red line, includes things like white bread or sweets. These foods provide a rapid increase of glucose into the blood, like shown on this graph. Foods that are low in the glycemic index include things that are high in fiber, such as whole grains, oatmeal, vegetables. They have a slow and prolonged release of glucose into the blood. So that's that green line there. So those foods are considered low in the glycemic index. So the low glycemic index is less a less restrictive diet. It's still high in fat and has carb restrictions and the carb 
carbohydrates that they do consume must have a low glycemic index. So those really high fiber grains and vegetables and some fruits as well. You actually don't need to measure your ketones on this diet as this diet generally does not promote ketosis. And about a 30% of patients will have a 90% reduction in seizures and 20% will have a 50% reduction in seizures. Um, the Children's Hospital in Alberta uses this therapy often. It is reported that it's quite effective in patients with Angelman syndrome. Um, the plate still shows high fat, but much more carbs than some of our other diets. And the meal, that, that dish there is a cauliflower and cheddar hash done in a waffle iron to get that crispy hash brown. So I feel like that's something I could definitely eat. So another thing, it's not just food that contains carbohydrates, everything contains carbohydrates. And this is something that we teach our families to be really aware of once their child is on the ketogenic diet. So medications like liquid and chewable medications can have carbs or sweeteners that can impact their ketosis and their seizure control. All of their vitamins and minerals may have carbohydrates, so we prescribe them certain brands and certain formulations to make sure that although they need these vitamins and minerals, it doesn't impact their seizure control. And everything that may be related to like personal hygiene, so anything that sits on the skin for a long time that maybe absorbs like our sunscreens, lotions, and soap can actually absorb carbohydrates through the skin and that, that may impact their ketones and seizure control. So this is more than just a diet, it's definitely a big lifestyle change and adjustment for families. Okay, so um, Lauren talked about the exciting part, which is the food part, uh, but I'm going to go into a little bit about how the diet works and um, uh, and and how it started and um, and how one does the ketogenic diet. So first of all, um, it, we don't know how the diet, ketogenic diet works, um, <laughs> and it, sometimes that that makes people a little bit uncomfortable. Uh, but in medicine, we don't always know exactly how things work, um, although we do have a good idea. Um, in terms of how the ketogenic diet works, you, in order to understand the ketogenic diet, you kind of need to understand how um, you know the regular uh, regular diet metabolism works. That the pancreas actually um, releases something called glucagon, which is a hormone that actually increases glucose levels. Uh, when you have low glucose, your muscle breaks down, so your protein goes to amino acids and that produces glucose. Your red blood cells and uh, your white blood cell can actually produce something called lactate. Um, and so people would, would recognize that from, you know, when they're exercising a lot, the lactic acidosis, and that actually gets converted to glucose. Um, and so there's a lot of ways that you can actually uh, make glucose and, um, and almost everything in the body will preferentially use glucose as an energy source. Um, now, ketones are produced either in times when you don't have um, any um, food coming in, so when you're fasting, or if you have a high fat diet, um, you can see there on the, on the right of that diagram um, that free fatty acids or, or fatty acids um, get converted into ketones. And the brain actually loves ketones. The brain really works really well on ketones. However, with high levels of glucose, it typically will go for the glucose because it's an easier pathway. And so what we're aiming for is to produce ketones. So ketones are the anti-seizure medication of the ketogenic diet, or at least the main anti-seizure um, uh, medication of the diet. There are a few other ways that, that it works. 
um, at least five different ways the ketogenic diet works, which is why um, you know we feel it actually works so well. Why why it's such a strong um, therapy for epilepsy, um, and also um, why it doesn't really choose certain types of epilepsy in terms of the way it works. Um, it can work on all types of epilepsies. So when do we use dietary therapies for epilepsy? When someone has failed two anti-seizure medications or more um, is when we would offer the ketogenic diet. Um, we also offer it um, in certain um, conditions that people are born with. One is one called glucose transporter one deficiency, which is quite rare. Another one is an energy metabolism issue, uh, pyruvate dehydrogenase deficiency. And actually this is the therapy for that. Um, and even if they don't have epilepsy, we would use it for that. Other conditions where it may work, and many of you may have heard of this, it's um, the ketogenic diet has uh, um, you know, been uh, receiving a lot of hot press in the last decade or so. Um, and uh, where it's starting to be used is cancer and brain tumors and Alzheimer's disease and other dementias, in traumatic brain injury, in autism, and then also in Parkinson's disease. And this really speaks to the different mechanisms in terms of how it works. Um, you know, although we do know that it does calm down the brain's um, extra excitability, we also know that it uh, has a a neuroprotective effect, um, and it also helps improve, um, you know, people's mental status or people's level of alertness. Um, and so, um, in addition to that, we also know that there is an anti-inflammatory effect, and, and so that's why people, um, you know, are, are, are using it in things like cancer and brain tumors. Um, and so, um, you know, people are using it in, in different conditions, not only epilepsy, and you probably would have heard of it through that as well. Does it work? Um, well, 50 years ago, I would have said, we think it does, but now with confidence, I can say it definitely does. And we've had multiple studies, um, even the highest grade of study, which is a randomized control trial, um, uh, they all show that it works. Okay. Um, the bonus that, that we've been looking at, uh, at in these studies is that the ketogenic diet also shows that there's an improvement in terms of the level of alertness and people's ability to think, what we would call an encephalopathy. And so um, that's been something that it's shown. It also has been shown to improve sleep. Is it cost effective? So when I say that, we know that the ketogenic diet can be expensive. Some of these foods cost more. The formulas, um, you know, are costly. Um, also, it's very resource intensive. So I'm going to go into how we start the ketogenic diet, but you'll see that it takes a lot of dietitian time, and um, you know, our dietitian is actually probably our most precious resource. Um, but you know, when you take in, when you take into account all of the extra expenses, it does show that it is cost effective. It, um, there was a study done actually here in Canada um, that looked at the costs that people uh, incurred uh, with difficult to control epilepsy before the ketogenic diet um, and compared to after the ketogenic diet, including the cost of starting the ketogenic diet. And it showed that um, but hands down, there was a significant decrease in healthcare costs. And so um, we know it works and we know it's cost effective. In terms of when you cannot use a ketogenic diet, there's actually multiple, uh, multiple genetic conditions um, and certain medications where you cannot use the, the ketogenic diet. And so um, it's important that the ketogenic diet be started um, after assessment by the medical team. Other uh, contraindications, as I mentioned, there's certain medications which um, cannot be used with the ketogenic diet without um, you know, risk of harm. Um, other times we, we uh, 
discourage the use is if there's a risk of aspiration. So swallowing some of the foods into the lungs because um, of the high fat, it can cause a, you know, a terrible pneumonia. If someone already has a history of high cholesterol or high lipids, um, or history of kidney stones. I'm going to go into the side effects, um, you know, shortly. Um, we, we do look at that with caution because it can really exacerbate that tendency. And so, um, you know, that's something we really look at in balanced risks and benefits of being on the diet. The last one I put in, in, in um, my other hat is uh, epilepsy surgery. And so I do have to put a plug in that if someone is a really good surgical candidate and that we can offer um, you know, a, a good chance of seizure reduction or seizure freedom with surgery, um, we, we usually tend to uh, recommend going the route of surgery instead. And so while it's not a contraindication, it is something that we would counsel on. And there's no harm in going on the diet than going to surgery and, and considering both paths. I'm going to go a bit into the side effects uh, of the ketogenic diet. Um, and I, I want you to know that these are potential side effects. Not everybody gets these. Okay. And so I don't want it to scare you off the ketogenic diet, but it is something we do see frequently. Um, when we start the ketogenic diet, you have to remember that um, if you go back to Lauren's comparison of the regular North American diet, um, that um, you know that, that that we're not eating 90% or even 60% fat, and so most of our diet comes from carbohydrates, and so our bodies are used to running on carbohydrates as a fuel. When we uh, when, when when an individual converts from a carbohydrate metabolism or using carbohydrates as fuel to fat, um, there, are some, um, there are some difficulties, I should say. Uh, many people call it the keto flu, um, but um, ch you know, children and adults will get quite fatigued. Um, they'll get nauseated. Um, vomiting may occur, especially if um, it's also compounded by constipation. Um, Low blood sugars don't tend to be common, although we can see that. And, and that's just the, the body getting used to getting into the fat metabolism. So we do um, you know, watch out for low blood sugars during the time of conversion um, and also dehydration. I don't know how many of you guys have ever had a day where you've really um, gone a bit crazy on high fat diet, like you ate McDonald's. Not that I'm dissing McDonald's at all, but, um, you know, three times a day, you feel really awful. Um, you know, you, you, feel, you know, you, your, your stomach feels really full, you feel bloated, you feel a bit nauseated, you feel very thirsty. Um, well, that's how it is for, you know, up to three days. Um, but then once an individual converts from the carbohydrate metabolism to the fat metabolism, um, they do much better. And like I said, it's not everybody, but it is the majority. And, and we do warn people about this uh, you know, ahead of time. But once they're on the diet, this is not an issue. I'm gonna go a bit into the long-term side effects of what we see and, um, and why we do the things we do when people are, are on the diet. Um, and so the biggest thing is really gastrointestinal or gut issues. Okay, so constipation um, tends to be quite common, and that's just because if you look at, um, you know, how much um, how much carbohydrate and protein uh, people are allowed to have, uh, when you take into account medications and such, um, there isn't a whole lot left for fiber or, or vegetables. And so um, constipation um, does be, tend to be more common, especially since fat tends to slow down the motility. Some people get diarrhea, especially if they're on higher MCT oil or something. 
Um, high lipids and high cholesterol does occur on the diet uh, quite commonly. Um, sometimes the body will correct itself and, and that'll autocorrect on its own, or sometimes we need to take measures to bring it down. Um, inflammation of the pancreas can actually happen as well. It's very rare, but it's something that we really watch out for because um, that can be very dangerous. Um, other potential side effects, so nutritional, um, as Lauren said, uh, we're not offering a whole lot of vitamins and minerals, and so um, vitamin and mineral deficiency used to be uh, very common. Uh, we do check vitamin levels and mineral levels quite commonly now at, at, at the beginning and then um, every three months initially. Um, and then we, we, we supplement really quite aggressively uh, in order to avoid deficiencies. Carnitine is a protein that shuttles fat across the membrane. And so you do need that. And sometimes on the ketogenic diet that can be depleted. And so we measure that. Um, previously, growth restriction, and you'll read about that when you read about the ketogenic diet. Um, we, we do aim to give enough protein for children to grow um, in terms of along their percentile. Uh, but sometimes, you know, after people come off the diet, you will see them doing some catch-up growth, so to speak. Um, we do not aim to lose weight. This is not a weight loss measure. And um, surprisingly, even though your individuals are on a high fat diet, they don't actually gain weight. Um, and that's really Lauren's job is to ensure that, um, you know, the proper amount of calories is met. In terms of the kidneys, um, the, the, the ketones tend to call it a bit, cause a bit of an acidosis in the blood. Um, and most people don't, uh, aren't affected by this whatsoever. Um, but that does um, tend to um, increase the risk of kidney stones. And so uh, people who are on the ketogenic diet often are on a supplement to try to decrease that. Um, long, longer term side effects is really um, the things that we worry about is really bone density. Um, people with treatment resistant epilepsy do uh, have a tendency for decreased bone density. Um, and and that's, that, that, that's due to many factors. Um, some of the factors is long term medication use. Um, other factors is decreased um, activity. Um, and other factors are genetic factors, but um, the ketogenic diet definitely has an impact on, on bone health. And so uh, we supplement very aggressively with calcium and vitamin D, uh, but we do have to um, you know, weigh uh, the benefits of the diet with the risk of things like fractures in the future. Uh, low white blood cells is something that we see, although uh, rarely is it, does it actually um, you know, make a clinical impact um, in that people are immunocompromised or they have troubles in fighting infection. And then in the past, we used to see more cardiomyopathy, but that's really rarely seen now. Um, and it's proposed that it could have been due to a micronutrient called selenium, but um, we rarely see that now. Um, how is it done? Well, initially there's an assessment by the ketogenic diet team. Um, that's myself, who is a ketogenic diet physician or one of my uh, ketogenic diet uh, colleagues. Um, we have Lauren, um, who is a ketogenic dietitian, um, and then we have excellent nurse clinicians who are experts in this field um, and who are also uh, an integral part of the team. Um, the things we ask is, are there medical con contraindications? Are there medical reasons why someone can't be on the diet? Will the family be compliant? Is this a good fit for the family at that time? Um, what are the medications we need to make? And as Lauren mentioned, um, there are no suspensions allowed. And what's the urgency that we start? And although everyone is urgent to us, there are certain conditions or certain situations where we have to start it immediately. And there are certain situations where, um, you know, um, they can wait a few weeks. 
or even a few months if, if that's what the family prefers. The way we started is um, families will undergo three to five days of education in the kitchen with Lauren and our nurse clinician. Um, initially, they don't eat for 68 hours at nighttime, and then we do the blood work in the morning to see what the baseline is in terms of uh, minerals and vitamins and fats and things like that. And then we gradually increase the ratio over three to four days um, if it's a classic ketogenic diet. The parents are instructed on the preparation of meals, so measurements, how to calculate, um, you know, the different grams of everything, and then also how to monitor ketones. Um, the ketones are sort of our, our, our drug levels um, in that it tells us how effective the ketogenic diet is in an individual. Um, initially, we look at blood sugars to make sure people aren't going low, but that's only in the first two or three days. The ketones are really what are measured on a long-term basis. Um, the best by far in terms of the, the gold standard is blood, um, and that's what we measure is beta-hydroxybutyrate, but it's very, um, it's, it's very, it, uh, most families can't go to the hospital on a regular basis to get that done. Um, there are ketone meters, and on the bottom right, um, you'll see an example of a ketone meter. Um, some of those are, are a bit fraught with um, um, with reliability, but they do tend to be accurate. They are extremely expensive though, um, not the actual ketone meter, but the strips can be very expensive. And so um, it doesn't really make it um, so accessible for people. We typically use urine ketones and you'll see them on the top, uh, on the top of the picture there. Um, and that's where uh, we actually use a dipstick and to check the urine ketones on those um, are probably not the best, but they are the most practical. And sometimes what we'll do is we'll, we'll, we'll try to correlate them with the blood ketones and then they do tend to be reliable. Um, breath ketones um, are also an option, although not very accurate and we don't use that very much at all. And so how long do we usually trial it? We ask for three months uh, because three months is what we need in order to get good ketosis and to really um, adjust the calories and the nutrients and the ratio accordingly. And so uh, we ask for a commitment of three months, um, no matter what. And then how long do we continue it? Um, well, we usually continue it for one to two years. Uh, we follow up at three months and usually every three to six months thereafter, we do routine blood work, weight, physical examinations. Um, and after one or two years, um, we would offer um, for individuals to come off. Sometimes people can't come off because um, you know their seizures recur, and so um, we do have some individuals that have been on it much longer. Um, but those individuals, of course, we have to risk you know the uh, risks and the benefits of being on it more long term. The majority of individuals will actually continue to have seizure improvement even off the diet. And so that's when I talk about that neuroprotective effect of the ketogenic diet. And in terms of long-term side effects, you know, everyone would think that they would have, you know, arth um, arteriosclerosis and they would be having, you know, heart attacks and strokes. But actually long-term studies do not show that um, there's an increased risk for cardiovascular disease. And so, um, and that's probably what we see in that, that the liver or the metabolism does tend to even out. Um, we, we, we have seen that the growth does slow, although improves once off the diet. Kidney stones and the bones are something that we worry about in terms of long-term. Uh, but, um, you know, although this sounds very difficult, um, when they did a survey of people, everyone who, you know, who, um, did, uh, who, who was on the ketogenic diet, 96% of them would answer that they would recommend the diet to others, um, but only after trying medications because as one of our um, wonderful families has said, um, 
excuse my language, it sucks, but it works. So it's something that um, people who have bought been on it, although it is quite difficult, um, they do feel that it is worth it once they're on it. And so that's the end of our presentation. Thanks for tuning in to the Voice Epilepsy podcast. Make sure to follow us on all of our BCES and I'm a Voice for Epilepsy Awareness social media platforms. In closing, remember, you matter and you are not alone. Make Thursdays our Epilepsy Date Night with Epilepsy Voice Podcasts.